I want to tell you something that happens every Sunday morning here at church. About 7.30 in the morning, uh, uh, I meet uh, uh, one of our guys, Randy, uh, 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 at our storage unit, our church storage unit, to pick up some of the stuff that we're not allowed to keep here or we don't want to keep here. Um, and so we meet him over there, and uh, he's, got a big, he's got a big car and everything. That's why you know, we, we use Randy's big car to get all the stuff. But uh, we meet him over there, and him and his kids love to play practical jokes on me. And I don't know what I ever did to them, why they want to play practical jokes. So a few weeks ago, I get there, and no one else is there. He's not there. So I, I, I go into our storage unit, and I get the key, in, and there's like a big padlock on it. And, and I went to put the key in the padlock, and I noticed that the lock had been changed. So I was like, I looked up at the number, and then I went to the other side because I thought I've got the wrong door. And I went to that one, and the padlock's changed. I'm like, so I went to the other side and the padlock was changed. And suddenly I'm like, what has happened? You know, how are we going to get our stuff? And then they come around and they're like, hey, you need a key for that padlock. And uh, so they played this practical joke on me. Well, a few months before they did another practical joke on me. And once again, nobody else was there. So I got there. Nobody else was there. I got to the storage unit and, and, and I undid the padlock, I opened, it, I opened it up, and suddenly the kids just jumped out and like, Wah! like this. Well, when I was like 21, I would probably have laughed it off, but I, I've discovered the older I get, the more my nerves get on edge. I'm like, I'm seriously needed a cup of tea after that. And uh, <laughs> I drink tea, I'll be honest, I drink tea. But so, so they came out, and, and suddenly my heart went from here and I just saw it beating on the floor. I mean, it was just so bad. And for the, about the next 30 minutes, I was like shaking. You know, like I just had drank too much coffee. And I was just shaking. My nerves were on edge. And what I discovered is that when your nerves are on edge, you can't concentrate on anything else. All you can concentrate on is on what happened. Your heart is just beating fast and fast and fast and fast. And it's like, you know, when you scare someone, their nerves get on edge. And your heart just jumps out. Well, I think the final enemy of our soul that we're going to talk about today does that very thing to us. We open doors and he jumps and he scares us. And he uses these scare tactics to put our nerves on edge. In fact, this enemy is one, this enemy that we're going to talk about today is one, I believe, that controls all the other enemies that we've talked about, controls our past, controls our personal demons, our weaknesses, controls our unbelief. This is the one who is behind everything. And the tactic that he uses is a scare tactic to put you on edge. Actually, I believe that this enemy is an enemy that cannot physically touch you. But in fact, He tries to scare you into doing things that you wouldn't want to do. He scares you into thinking things that you don't want to think. And we're going to discover today who and what is behind this great war that we've been talking about. Who is our ultimate enemy? And finally today we're going to discover how to defeat this enemy good and for all so that we can have peace in our lives. So the first question I want to answer today is, what is behind this great war? We've talked about that there is a war in our souls. Like it or not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, there is still a war going on in your soul. The reason is, is because you are a creation of God. And this enemy is wanting to make war with anything that God has created. And so what we discover, we discover who is behind this great war. 
And if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it's like all the way at the back of the, uh, of, of the New Testament, you'll find it, 1 Peter chapter eight, uh, 5 and verse 8. But before we read that, have you ever noticed that when there is a fight, usually the very things that you fight against are not the actual reason for that fight? I'll give you an example. You know, in World War II, you had the Allies and you had the Germans and you, you had these, these, these Nazis. And the Allies would go to battle with the Nazis and they would kill a Nazi soldier or they would win a battle, but yet the war would still keep going on. Because the very thing that they fight, were fighting were not the reason for that war. In, in fact, it was the Nazi ideology and a guy called Adolf Hitler. Now, for those of you who are in relationships this morning, whether you're married or not, you know that fighting happens within your relationship. If you have not had a fight yet, just wait. You're going to have a fight, and it's probably going to be a big one. And what happens is often you fight, and what happens is, is the wife will come to the husband, and I'm sorry, this is stereotypical. I'll, instead of wife, one of them will come to the other one. I'll say that. I don't want to get myself into trouble. And they'll come and they'll say, the dishes are still in the, di- in the sink. You haven't cleaned them. And then suddenly they'll have a fight. And next thing you know, they're not talking for two days. Then the next thing that happens is someone comes and uh, sitting on the couch. And uh, one is watching uh, uh, the Ravens uh, uh, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so they're, they're, they're watching that. And then the other one just comes and snatches the remote and switches to HGTV. I wonder in my house who that would be, right? And, <laughs> and then you get in this fight, this thing, and then you resolve it and you make up. But then maybe a couple of weeks later or a couple of days later or maybe months later, you get into another fight again. And suddenly the same sort of patterns happen. And what you find is that you fight against that one thing or you do battle over one and you think it's done, but then it keeps coming back and back. And the reason is, is because so often there is a root cause behind that fight and you haven't got to the root cause. And in my household, it's because my wife hates football. And so that's the root cause of her switching to HGTV when the Ravens are beating the Steelers. No, I'm only kidding. But what you find is that there is something behind. And for us, in this big fight, in this great war, we can have our past come and eat us up. Eat us for breakfast. We can do battle with our past and struggle with our past. But some of us, we will get over the things that we've done in our past and we will move forward. But then the fight doesn't stop. Things still happen. Some of us, we talked about our weaknesses and personal demons. Some of us will get over those weaknesses and personal demons. But then months later, something else will crop up and we'll still keep fighting. Or we may get over some unbelief in our, in our area, not believing that God can do something. And then we can see that God can do all things. And then suddenly, a few months later, problems happen again and fighting happens again. And that is because there is something behind the fight. And we're going to discover today who is behind this fight. In the same way, your spiritual life is under attack. Whether it's your past, your personal demons, your unbelief. And the fight continues. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we're going to see who is behind this great fight. It says there, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Now notice here, it doesn't say watch out for my great enemy. 
It doesn't say watch out for our great enemy. It doesn't even say watch out for God's great enemy or Jesus' great enemy. The Bible here is very personal, very specific. It says watch out for your great enemy. So individually, every one of us, we have an enemy. Watch out for your great enemy. It says watch out for your great enemy, the devil. So now we've got a name, the devil. It says, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So here we hear, we see in this verse, I think we probably have the clearest verse in the Bible, who is behind this fight that we are in. We are told that we have an enemy. Actually, some translations uh, translate this differently, the Bible. Instead of saying, your great enemy, they say, your great adversary. And the word adversary basically can be defined as this, a force that opposes you. A force that opposes you. So each of us have a force that opposes you. A force that opposes you. And the Bible calls this force the devil. The devil. The Bible also says that the devil is on the prowl. It says, he, he, roar, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The word prowl basically means someone who is in search of prey or someone who is searching to steal. Someone who is in search of prey or someone who is searching to steal. So now we have a picture. We have an enemy The name of the enemy is the devil, and now he is prowling around looking for prey and looking to steal something. Actually, the Bible carries on to say, not just a being, but he prowls around like a roaring lion. And just as a lion will seek out its prey, so too the devil seeks out his prey as well. And lions actually are pretty quiet when they hunt. If you've ever like watched, I don't know, Natural Ge- Ge- Geographic or, or, or something like that, then, then you'll, see, like, you'll see how the lions pray. And they'll stay down low and they won't let anybody see them. And then suddenly when the time to attack, they'll run and they'll attack. And I think that's how the enemy attacks us in our lives. He comes around, prowling around so nobody can see. And then when the moment is right, he will attack. And then not only that, is, but... but But lions, they are quiet when they prowl, but lions will roar when they are trying to claim their territory. So if they've got their territory that they've staked out and another lion comes in or another animal that is powerful that comes in, the lion will suddenly roar. And what the lion is doing by roaring, he is claiming his territory. There's something else I want to just tell you quickly about the lion as well. And I know you didn't come for like a, a... a lesson on lions or anything like that. But often what you find with, with, with nature is when a lion will attack its prey. So say it's attacking a, a, an antelope. An antelope is chased and the lion has come and it's got the antelope. What will happen very often is the antelope will suddenly just lie down and die. It's kind of the weirdest thing in nature. And so often when you have a big animal and it attacks a small animal, Suddenly, the animal will just lay down and die and allow itself to be devoured. And I believe in 1 Peter 5, 8, we see here that Peter uses the example of a roaring lion because the roar of the lion is given for two purposes. 
And I believe that this enemy that we call the devil has two purposes. It roars in order to scare you, to put you on nerves, and also to warn you, to stay off its territory. To scare you and to warn you. And your enemy, the devil, I believe, is prowling around quietly to devour you, but also he is roaring in your face to scare you and paralyze you so that you do not take his territory. And we'll find out in just in a little bit what his territory is. And so when your past comes and it tries to pull you down, I believe that is your enemy roaring in your face. Those nights when those weaknesses and those struggles come and you start doing the things that you don't want to do in your life, but you can't help but do them. That is the enemy of your soul roaring in your life. When suddenly you see that unbelief just strikes you and you are so fearful about what tomorrow may hold, that is the enemy roaring in your life. And I believe that the enemy is roaring in your life so you can do one thing, and that is lay down and just die. Like an antelope, just lay down and be devoured. So that is who is behind this great enemy. Well, you may ask, well, you've said the devil, and kind of, we have a picture of, of the devil. Some of you, you may be thinking like Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. He was like this cunning, kind of, you know, slick guy. Some of you may be thinking of uh, like the cartoons of like one of the cartoon characters goes down to hell, and there, there, there's, this, there's this red figure with horns and a tail and a big like stake, and he's like grinning and he's like, "Come to Papa," you know. And some of you may be thinking that uh, of like some like dark presence that like just comes into a room or something like that. Well, we're going to see exactly who this devil is. Some translations of 1 Peter, verse 5 and 8, actually, instead of using the devil, they actually use another name. They say, your enemy or your adversary, Satan. So they use a different name, not just the devil, but they use Satan. And in fact, this term, the devil, and also Satan, is used throughout the Bible. We see it in many different forms. And basically, the way I can explain it probably best is this, is that when you see the devil, it's probably referring to the character. But when you see Satan, that's his name. Your enemy, Satan, that's his name. Just in the same way as when we think of the person or the, or, or the being that created this universe, we think of God, God the character. But God has a name. And we're told in, in, in the Bible there's lots of different names for God, and one of those names is Yahweh. God, Yahweh, devil, Satan. In fact, in uh, Isaiah 14 and verse 12, I think it's in the, in the New King James Version, it, say, it tells us that Satan has another name. His name was Lucifer. So now we have like three names. We have the devil, we have uh, uh, Satan, and we have Lucifer. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus is talking, and he made this phrase. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw Satan fall. Fall like lightning. Well, this gives us a key into who this, this adversary, this enemy really is. And so I, I want to just discuss the question very quickly. Satan fell. Where did he fall from? So if you have your Bibles, I want us to quickly go through the book, of, um, not the book of Revelation, because we'll be here forever and a day, but Revelation chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 12. When we look at the book of Revelation just very quickly, Revelation is a very hard book to 
understand and interpret. Because it's a, basically a guy having a vision of, of things that he does not understand. And he's trying to write down what he's seeing, but he doesn't understand it. And in, the, in here we see a lot of pictures, we see a lot of symbols, we see a lot of things. And so sometimes we have to read between the lines with Revelation. And so in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1 it says this. It says, Then I witnessed in heaven, so this guy is seeing heaven, an event with great significance. So this wasn't just any old event. This was an event with great significance. This is an important event. So we should know about this event. It said, I saw a woman clothed with the sun. See what I mean? I mean it's pretty crazy. I mean, clothed with the sun. Whoa. What does that mean? She's been on the sunbed too long and glowing orange? I don't know. It says, I saw a woman clothed with the sun and the moon beneath her feet. And a crown of 12 stars on her head. Ah, she's a beauty queen, you know. And, and, but, but 12 stars on her head. Then it said she was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Basically here we see we have a woman in, uh, in the revelation of John the Apostle. And the woman here has 12 stars on her head. Well, 12 in the Bible is a very significant number. 12 basically means the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. So we see this woman here may be referred to as Israel. Or if we use a broader term, uh, uh, definition, Israel were also called the people of God or the children of God. And so today, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, then this woman means you. This woman means you. Actually, we see in the Bible that the, the, the church as a whole is referred to as a woman. It's referred to as the bride of Christ. It's referred to as a bride. So now we see here, John sees all of us in heaven. And then in verses 3 to 6, it says this. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. So this is another important event that happens in heaven. It said, I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. So that's kind of what we see when we think of like cartoons and the devil and things like that. I mean, this is like a large red dragon with horns and a tail and and things like that. It said, his tail swept away uh, uh, one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. It says she gave birth to a son who was able to rule the nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her for 1,260 days. Basically, what we're seeing here, we're seeing that now there is a dragon. There is a dragon in heaven. And this dragon has lots of horns. It has a tail. It, it has like crowns. And this dragon had so much influence that the Bible says his tail swept away one third of the stars in heaven. Now, he's not talking about the Milky Way, I don't believe. I don't think he's talking about the sun and all the other stars that you see at night. He didn't like sweep away like Aries and, and uh, Pisces and, and Leo and things like that. But I believe stars here refers to angels. 
And you see throughout the Bible, a lot of times when they refer to angels, they refer to as stars as well. And we see here that, that if this is true, then this dragon who has his huge tail has swept away or taken away one third of the angels in heaven. It's a pretty powerful dragon. We also see that this dragon has one purpose here. And that is to destroy the woman or to destroy the people of God or the children of God. We also see that this woman was pregnant and she gave birth to a son. We can probably see or believe that this son was actually Jesus. Because Jesus was born of a woman named Mary. And so what we see, we see that this dragon tries to devour or destroy the woman. And then it tries to destroy the child. Destroy the people of God and destroy Jesus as well. In fact, we see in, uh, in, in Ezekiel, and I won't turn to that, we haven't got time this morning, but in, in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19, we see there that there is a picture that this dragon actually wasn't always a dragon. A lot of scholars and a lot of people who, who, who study the Bible and interpret the Bible for a living believe that this dragon was once the most, one of the most glorious angels in heaven. Actually, in, in Ezekiel chapter 28, we are told that this dragon was in fact the guardian of the garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were. And the Bible says that this, if this is true, if this is, if this is uh, what, what, what is believed, if this thing that is talked about in Ezekiel is actually the dragon, then this dragon was one of the most glorious angels in heaven. But something happened. The Bible says that this dragon fell and was cast to the earth. So now we see, we see a woman, we see a child, and we see a dragon, the people of God, Jesus, and the devil. Then in verses, in, in Revelation 12, uh, verses nine to, uh, 7 to 9, it says this. And this is where it gets really interesting. It says, then there was a war in heaven. Then there was a war in heaven. I'm thinking, if there is one place in the world where war should not happen, it's heaven. But yet, there was a war in heaven. It says there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. We're told in, uh, in, in the book of Jude, which is the one before Revelation, that Michael was actually an archangel or an angel, uh, a leader of the angels. So Michael was kind of a big deal. It says Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great, great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So here we see now, Revelation has told us who this dragon is. This dragon is called the serpent, and we can believe that's the one that deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's also called the devil, and he's called Satan. It's all the same person. It's all the same being. And what happened is this devil could not defeat heaven. And because he could not defeat heaven, he was cast down to the earth. Did you know this morning, I believe that there is a real enemy. Many people 
don't believe in the devil. They believe in God. They believe that God is great, but they do not believe in the devil. They believe that there's evil and wickedness in the world, but they do not believe in the being of a devil. And I tell you this morning, I believe with all my heart that there is a devil. There is a, 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 a being called Satan. And I believe that this enemy is real and he is your enemy and he is my enemy. And this enemy hates you. This enemy despises you. This enemy wants to destroy you because you are, in fact, a creation of heaven. And I also believe that this enemy is a loser. And he does not want to lose alone. He's going down and we'll find out, you know, in, in, in a little bit. He's going down and he wants to bring everyone with him. What I want to do at this time, uh, there, there's a slide I, I want to show. And Randy, if you could put up that slide, the first one. And these are basically the characteristics of who is our roaring lion. Who is this person? And we haven't got time this morning to go through it. But if you, if you take notes, then you may want to take this down. And uh, we'll have another slide in a minute also. But just to let you know that we'll have this on the website after um, uh, like maybe Tuesday. So you can look through it. But basically here we see all the characteristics that the Bible talks about. And this isn't an exhaustive list. There's probably more characteristics. But this is just a general list of who this enemy really is. And so we see that he is a, he is a liar. He is an accuser. He is a powerful being. Uh, we see that he's a deceiver, a tempter. He's defeated. But we also see right in the middle there, we see something. It says, he rules this world. He rules this world. The Bible says that the devil, Satan, is the prince of this world. When he was cast out of heaven, he came down to this earth, and he kind of rules this earth. But that's who Satan is. That is who your enemy is. That is who the devil is, as the Bible describes. Well, I've kind of enough of talking about this loser. I want to talk now as we close about how we can defeat this enemy in our lives. Every one of us has an enemy, but how do we defeat this enemy in our lives? You know, a few, uh, a few months ago, I was watching a documentary um, on the TV, and it was all about this guy who went into Africa, and uh, he basically lived with the lions. He was on his own. He didn't have like a vehicle. He didn't have a, a big tribe around him. It was this one guy. It was just this, uh, the, 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 just this white guy from America who decided he wanted to go and live with lions. I'm thinking that's a pretty crazy idea. So he went into the wilderness in Africa. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have, uh, uh, you know, any arm or anything to protect him except for a big old walking stick. And you saw it was kind of weird. He got closer to lions than anybody has ever got without having a weapon. And what you would find is he would get so close to the lions. I mean, like where that drum shield is, he would be this close. And then the lion would turn around and the lion would roar at him like he's about to be devoured. And the guy would turn back and he would roar louder than the lion. He would make all this noise with his stick. And you would see the lion just suddenly just like sit back down. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, I'm like, don't recommend it. You know, if you go to Africa, just stay with the people. And <laughs> but he did. And it was an incredible thing. And people, uh, and there was like experts, lion experts, they could not believe what was going on. And they realized that he was basically making more noise than the lion, causing the lion to sit down. And I got great news today. 
This lion who wants to come and devour you. You've got reason to make more noise in his face than he has in your face. And the reason for that is this. Is that there is a script. And this script involved the war. And this war has already been played out. And this war has already finished. And there is only one winner. Let me show you who this is. In 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won victory over those people. Then listen to this. It says, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. The spirit that lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Remember when we saw the list of of characteristics of the devil. One of them was, he rules this world. And the spirit who lives in this world is a spirit that comes and he roars at you like a roaring lion. He wants to devour you. He wants to take you out. But there is a spirit that lives in you, and his name is Jesus Christ, that is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. And if you are a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, you don't have to do anything. You have a spirit living in you. You have something in you that is greater than what is in the world. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 12. And we see here how we individually can defeat this roaring lion. It says there in uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It said, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Now listen to this, it says, for the accuser, remember that was one of the characteristics of, of Satan that we saw in there, he's an accuser. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. You know, this enemy tells lies about you, he accuses you. It says in verse 11 then, it says, And they, meaning the people of God, and they have, not they will, but they have, so it's already taken place, they have defeated him, meaning the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Or some translations say by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to to die. And it says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in a great anger, knowing that he has little time. So we see here a twofold way to defeat this enemy in your life. The first one the Bible says, by the blood of the Lamb. For you all good, good old Christians, you know exactly what that means. For those of you who are maybe new to this Christian thing or... You know, you haven't been in church much. You're thinking, what on earth are you talking about? What is the blood of the Lamb? This is kind of getting freaking crazy. Well, actually, what we see, we see that there was a penalty for sin. And sin was, and the penalty was death. And we see in the Old Testament, we see that there was lots of animal sacrifices that were made because of this sin. And what they did, they took a lamb that was, that was blameless, that was spotless, that had nothing wrong with it, and they would kill this lamb. 
And they would put it on the altar and they would present it as a sacrifice unto God. And the blood would spill and this blood would appease God or appease the laws of God for a while. But until they sinned again, the blood of this, this lamb was no good after they, they sinned again. And so they would do this all the time, and year after year, year after year, they would make this sacrifice time and time and time again. And then one day, God decided, I don't know when it was, but God decided, enough is enough. These animal sacrifices are not working. We are gonna, I'm going to do all I can to make sure that these people's sins do not result in death. And what we mean by death, we mean eternal death, eternal damnation. And so what happened is that there, God decided to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to be born of a virgin named Mary. And he lived a sinless life. He did not sin at all. I mean, that's pretty mind-blowing to think as it is. He did not sin at all. And then one day, he was arrested for doing nothing wrong. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was led up a mountain called Calvary to a place called Golgotha where there was three crosses. And they thrust Jesus on the cross. They put nails in his hands and on his feet. And then they put a spear in his side. And suddenly the blood of Jesus gushed out as a sacrifice for you and me. The Bible says that Jesus took on sin. And because... It was a like-for-like sacrifice. It wasn't human lamb. It was human-human. This sacrifice became the ultimate perfect sacrifice for all the sins in the past and all the sins in the future. And the Bible says because this blood, this blood of Jesus, when when the spear was thrust into the side and the blood came out, because of this blood, that has more power in that blood than this enemy, this accuser who comes against you has ever got. And because if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that if you believe in Him and you repent of your sins, then this blood will come and it will wash you clean. Isaiah says that though your sins were as red like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Jesus Christ, His blood has come and He has cleansed you and He has washed you clean. And if you are a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, then this blood has overcome the accuser in your life. The blood of Jesus. The blood of the Lamb. Because of this blood, Satan's fate has been sealed. He was once the, the ruler of this world, but there will be a day where he will rule this world no more. And Jesus will rule it. So that's the first thing. But also we see, also we defeat this enemy by the blood of Jesus and also the word of your testimony. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, then your testimony the, 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 the words that come out of your mouth that Jesus Christ has changed you. Jesus Christ has come and made a dwelling place in your life. Jesus Christ has made your life better. Jesus Christ has cleansed you from no sin. Jesus Christ has come and made residence in your heart. It is by that testimony that you can defeat this accuser. The blood of Jesus. The word of your testimony. Not just, I don't believe it's just speaking out, but it's also living out our testimony as well. Living out what God has done in our lives, how God has changed us. And the Bible gives us so many promises and instructions and how we can avoid being devoured. And, and we're going to put up another slide and, and we won't go through it. We haven't got time this morning. But, you know, you can just jot this down if you want. 
But there's another slide, and, and, and basically, how can we make war on this roaring lion? How in our everyday lives can we make war on this roaring lion? And there's so many different ways we can pray, we can praise, we, we can claim hold of the promises of God. We can take up our armor that, that has been given us that we see in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, basically, we can think, just thinking about God, we can do good works, we can have self-control. These are all ways that we can defeat this enemy in our lives. So many different ways. But I want to tell you this morning as we close, I want you to remember this one thing. The Bible says that this enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. The last thing I knew is that wars never hurt anybody. Wars never hurt anybody. And if you are a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, then this enemy may be roaring in your face, but that is all he can do. He can't do anything else. He can't touch you. He can't harm you. He can't destroy you. Because there is something in you that is greater than him. He cannot hurt you. He can only roar and scare you, hoping that you will just lay down and die. But if you decide to stand up and make war on this enemy, you will have victory over this enemy.